Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, hone your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, bouncing back when bouncing back is hard. My guest for this episode is Kathleen Donnelly Israel, who is a transformational breath coach and the author of Wisdom on the Camino, a spiritual journey sharing forgiveness and possibilities to inspire the rest of your life. Kathleen took care of her husband, Ron, for the 17 years he had Parkinson's. After Ron passed, Kathleen decided to walk the Camino Santiago de Compostela 500 miles across Northern Spain at the age of 69. This inspires me deeply. Welcome, Kathleen. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So I want to ask you, or I actually want to remark how important movement and especially walking has been in my life and in my own healing. So I was very attracted to this and I want to ask you, how did you know you needed to walk the Camino? That's a big commitment. Then you said, I need to do this and now I'm going to go do this. Yeah. Well, while Ron was ill, um, my dreams of what we would do after we got retired, after he retired, just sort of fizzled up because we weren't going to be doing anything. I thought we would be riding our bicycles across Spain. I thought, you know, we were going to have a good time when we, he retired and that was not to be. So um, while I was caring for him in 2013, my friend Judy walked the Camino and I thought that's it. That's going to be my new dream of what I will do in my old age. And so after Ron died, uh, I, <laughs> I just, you know, I got done with doing all the funeral stuff and the bank stuff and the insurance stuff about January. He died in August. So by January, I was like, you know what, now's the time I need to prepare for this uh, journey. And I started studying YouTubes and books and I went to a lecture at the library about how to pack lightly and I just got myself ready. But, you know, Ron was an athlete and throughout our lives, when we want, when we walked everywhere, like <laughs> we walked at home, we walked on vacation, we just walked. That's what we did. And also um, here in San Diego, where I live, I used to walk five miles, three days a week with my friend Severa down at the bay. And it just occurred to me that walking five miles didn't even make me sweat or anything. And I thought, well, I can walk five miles before lunch, five miles after lunch. I can do this. And so I just knew I could do it. That's all. So I wanted to ask you first, how, how many years did you have this dream? So do you first hear about this in 2013? Because yes. it's an interesting thing how long we can hold on to a dream and that you pursued it. <laughs> Well, I had to hold on to my dream because I was caring for Ron and there wasn't anything I could, I mean, I didn't want to do anything else but care for Ron while Ron was here. You know, I, that was, that was what I did. And um, it was, our life was a life together. We didn't have a separate life. So, um, so how many years before, or, or when did, in fact, when did you walk the Camino? He, he died in 2018. I walked the Camino in 2019. Wow. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was five or six years that I, mm -hmm. I just knew that this is what I would do later. You know, when I was, when Ron was done with his disease, this, this was what I was going to do. And the so, other, 
Mm -hmm. about being old is like there's when you're old everything is this is the youngest I'll ever be so I might as well do it you know what I mean there's I'm not going to be younger later so you know you got to do it now whatever it is wise wise words that we never listen to until we really need to listen to them because I was to say that also for anyone listening I mean I love to walk long distances mm. um well one thing when you get on the commute there's walking and then there's walking so I want to give you some some more credit because and there's a big difference between five miles and 10 miles or 15 miles, which is a typical day on the Camino, because it's one of my dreams too. And I actually like, I have studied and pre-pandemic, I started to train and then um, that kind of went out the window. Uh, so, which is neither here nor there, but I just want to give you credit because Kathleen, that's very impressive. And how do you know, how many miles were you doing a day? Well, in the beginning I did 10 miles a day. I did five before lunch, five after lunch. And then all of a sudden I was doing the 10 miles before lunch and I'm like, well, I might as well keep walking. So I did end up with maybe 15 miles a day <laughs> after I got buff. I mean, you, you get buff while you're there, you know? <laughs> well, okay. So aside from getting buff, I want to ask you what surprised you about walking the Camino? What surprised me is that I walked slow. I didn't, I always thought I walked fast, but everybody passed me up. I mean, I'm an old lady now and I have a bum foot too. So um, I guess that's why I, everybody passed me up. <laughs> but then, okay. So now that's actually its own interesting point And something I explore a lot in my, my work and my own writing is, but who cares? Do you know right. what I mean? You were going at your own pace. At what point did you start to accept that? Or was that like never an issue as people are, you know, breezing past you? Because by the way, when we go slow, we see more. We see more and we don't get blisters as much. I think when we go slow, if you walk fast, you know, your feet are all sweaty inside those boots really, you know, and um, if you go slow and then when you stop, you take your shoes off and rub your feet. I think it really helps with the blisters. I did not get blisters. See, there you go. Slow and steady. The Kathleen Donnelly Israel approach to walking long distances. Going deeper, how does forgiveness play into this? Forgiveness. Um, well, while Ron was ill, I studied on um, online with enlightened thought leaders and did a lot of personal healing for myself. I had kind of a rough childhood, so... I had a lot of healing that needed to be done still. I mean, after all those years, for gosh sakes. And so while I was studying, I found some concepts that I wanted to share with people. And one of them was about forgiveness. And the thing about forgiveness is that I don't even feel like I need to forgive anybody anymore because, um, I recognize that anything that happened in my life, I attracted it in. Like um, if I was, I had a rough childhood, right? I was a sad kid. I was a sad young adult. I was a sad adult, you know, and I was bringing in really crappy experiences into my life with my sadness. And so um, now that I realize, I mean, people used to tell me, oh, make up a different story. So, you know, my story was so sad and and, and I thought, well, gee, that wouldn't be true. But now I realize, hey, let's drop that sad story because it only brings in sad stuff. You got to change your mind and think of other things. So that's what the, I, I shared my 
uh, take on forgiveness with other people. It is really good to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and have you heard of Ho'oponopono? Yes, I'm familiar. Can you explain that to us? Yes. So um, it's like a healing prayer for the family and you actually can just do it by yourself or you can do it with your family. Either way, um, it works both ways. But what it does is it loosens our binds that we have with other people that cause um, adversity in our life. It's like an incantation or a prayer. It's like, first you say, I love you. And it's, I love God, God loves me, God loves the other person, the other person loves God. And if you can say, I love them, you know, say it. But if you can't, you know, don't. I love you, I'm sorry. And it's not, I'm sorry I did anything, but I'm sorry that this situation exists. Then please forgive me. And it's, I um, please forgive me for what's going on in me that caused me to attract this. I have a brokenness in me that caused me to attract this. And then thank you for showing me this so I could heal. If I didn't feel this pain in my heart, I couldn't heal from the things going on in me that caused me to attract it. And, um, and then I love you. I love God. God loves me. God loves the other person. They love God. And probably by that time, you can say, I love them. They love me. Um, but anyway, so this is this forgiveness technique help me realize that I do not need to forgive other people. I need to forgive myself for bringing that stuff in. And uh, even though I did it unwittingly, it's not a guilt thing at all. I mean, Ho'oponopono is not about guilt. If it, if guilt comes up, then you just got to analyze it and, you know, figure out how to not feel that because I mean, one night I was doing it and I was feeling guilt and I was like, oh man, I'm doing it wrong. And so I was analyzing it. And I, so when I said, please forgive me, I added in, I forgive me. And then I added in, I forgive it up. And I felt this refrigerator sized pain come out of my heart and go up out of me. And I thought, whoa, that was really great. And then when I said, thank you for showing me this so I could heal, it, it like washed me, washed me all off. And so that was when my life changed right there that night. And I like, what happened was every time I would try and go to sleep and my monkey mind would bring up all these things that didn't go right. And I would be like, oh man, I want to sleep, not think of these things, but I would do the Ho'oponopono on them and release them up. You know, it took years because I've been doing that for years. I, I mean, I was probably 50 something when that happened. So I had years and years of Ho'oponopono to do to release that. And you know what? I'm so much more clear now. I'm so much more able to do my life and not be a victim. I am not a victim anymore. Even all that stuff that happened to me, I am not a victim because I attracted it all in and I prefer to take responsibility for it and not be a victim. Mm. This is really beautiful, Kathleen. There are a couple of things I want to follow up and ask you about, because one thing that you just mentioned is healing takes time mm-hmm. and we don't live in an era that's very, I don't know, accommodating to time, right? It's like, I, I tried that Hawaiian prayer that that lady Kathleen mentioned on the podcast I was listening to. And nothing happened, right? We, it's it's not a one and done. 
And that's a really important message that you shared. And also the same thing is like trauma and healing. It doesn't have a timeline either, right? It doesn't care that how old you are. These things, are you, the, the wound is there and it's, it's, it's fresh still or always until um, you can actually heal. The other thing I want, I was really interested though too, is I understand functionally or the action you took by learning this prayer and this technique, but do you remember what was the kind of the transformational moment where you became open to the idea that I can change my life by changing my story? Cause that's powerful, but that's hard to get to that place. I know it was Abraham Hicks really. Mm. Yeah. They, they started me on that road. When I learned transformational breathing back in 1999, um, Judith Kravitz had a study, all these people like we were studying Abraham Hicks, uh, Byron Katie, Debbie Ford, all these people that had a message for us to clean us out so we could help other people. That was really um, started with the breathing and then uh, going to, I mean, uh, Abraham Hicks, I really, I really studied that one. It was so powerful. They have this, like, you know, they have the Maslow's thing of, you know, hierarchy of feelings. Abraham Hicks has a, a hierarchy. It's like a ladder and it's like, okay, so if you're down here at really sad and you want to be up here at really happy, uh, you got to do some of these other things in between first. You can't just go there. I mean, you know, um, not well, anyway, I guess you could go there, but anyway, they said it's going to, you know, help to go through all these other steps. And, you know, there were some steps in there that I wasn't willing to participate in. Like one of them was revenge. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay, I, I can't go there. And so I found a way to go through the different steps so I could get to happy. And all the time, God was bringing stuff in for me. Like, um, when I was studying while Ron was sick, uh, God would send me a teacher and then I would study their stuff and it would get boring. And then God would send me another teacher and I would study their stuff and it would get boring. And then, you know, it's like God was raising my vibration all the time while I was doing that. Mm -hmm. Wait, can I just take, I'm laughing because I just want to take the sidebar of the, um, compelling engaging teachers versus when the information gets boring and I always wanted to like you know rate the books and to be like what could have been a pdf or just a listicle versus you know occasionally when you fall on a powerful powerful teaching or a book and you're like okay they had me at page one and this is incredible there's no you know 40 page introduction okay Kathleen, I feel like now that I've known you forever even though we've just met so going back to your book for a sec because I want to now ask about the uh, second part of the title is the connection between forgiveness and possibility. Okay. So thing about possibilities is there are endless possibilities. And when we've had trauma in our life, we are intense on what happened and uh, you know, the outcome. And so we maybe worry, you know what worry is? It's like making up a sad story and believing in it and telling people about it. That's what worrying is. And it, and it makes us have a stomach ache, makes us not be able to breathe, all that stuff. But the fact is that there are endless possibilities. And even though something happened to me or you or whatever, that doesn't mean that, that, that the outcome from that is the only outcome that's gonna happen. 
We need to be open to all the possibilities of what could happen. There's nothing that that is sure that's going to happen, really. Yeah, I had a really great teacher explain it once that to your point that worrying is deciding in advance that something's not going to work out when for lack of a better, just for argument's sake, you have a 50-50 chance. So why wouldn't you throw your energy around the possibility that it could work out well? Absolutely. I was like, okay, message received. So how did this inspire the rest of your life, which you're currently living right now? Um, gosh, I want to say that I'm not afraid to do things like I used to be. Like the Camino, I... I mean, many people would not have done that by themselves, but I just figured uh, I read the books, you know, people actually do it by themselves. And I could, you know, I, I, I was just thinking of all the good things that could possibly happen from it. I have my guardian angels. They watch out for me here. They can watch out for me there. You know what I mean? So I, I was not afraid to do that at all. And I was excited to do that. Can I ask a yeah. practical question? Like, how did you, that some people might think it's like, how, well, how did you deal with loneliness? Did you get bored on the, on the Camino? What was it like? Um, did you eat meals alone? Like, how did you stave off loneliness or boredom? I have to tell you, I, um, in the beginning of the Camino Frances, they are a lot of windy mountain roads. That's what you're on. And you can't see way ahead of you or way behind you. But when I got to the Mesita, I could see way ahead of me and way behind me. And I realized I wasn't alone. Probably just around the next corner, there were two people walking and I didn't even know it. And they were walking. So I never caught up with them. You know what I mean? So when I realized I wasn't alone was when I was on the Mesita and I could see way behind me and way in front of me. And I'm like, oh, I'm not alone. You know, I there's people around. And also you go to an albergue for, you know, to sleep at night. There are people there and either you eat together or you go. I mean, a couple of times I ate alone. Um, not very often I ate alone. You know, everybody makes their own food or else the people who have the albergue serve food to you. And so it, I mean, I've, I've been in situations where there's just like a whole room full of people and I don't know anybody. And by the time dinner's over, we're best of friends, you know? So first night I stayed, uh, not the, well, the first night I, I became friends with those people too. But the second night, when I went to the Camino, there was snow on, uh, on the Pyrenees and we were not allowed to go over the Pyrenees. We had to walk around. So everybody there on the second night uh, had to walk around. So we had kind of like a sadness in, in common there. And, um, and then we just started sharing uh, with each other. And uh, I met a man who he had lost three people in his life in rapid succession. And he just couldn't do his life anymore. He was so sad. And so that somebody told him, oh, you should go on the Camino. And so uh, he shared that with me. And I said, well, gee, I know what you mean. My husband died and then my mother died in December. And then he was so sorry for me that my husband and my mother died. And, you know, it was just kind of like a camaraderie that maybe gave him a little bit of an elixir for his pain too. And we actually um, met each other many times on the Camino. Um, he wasn't walking fast either, I guess. <laughs> and so that was lovely. 
I want to go back to something you said though, because on a spiritual level, it reminds us that we do never walk alone. There you go. I had my guardian angels. I have four guardian angels that I know personally. Mm. So um, they were with me. So Kathleen, I did want to transition now, actually, because I want to ask about your your work as a transitional, transformational breath coach, because breathing is a huge part of my work as a media coach. I, I really want to go deep into this. So first of all, can you define for me what is transformational breathing, since it's an activity we do all day long without thinking about it? Right. So it's a special breathing technique Mm -hmm. um, that uses the full lungs and it's a circular breathing. So it raises your vibration. So right after you breathe in, you breathe out, right after you breathe out, you breathe in. And as a coach, I can just look at my clients. I, I lay them on the floor and I look at their breathing and I can see where they're not breathing. Like if somebody had their heart shut down, they're not breathing in their chest. If they had their free will shut down, they're not breathing in their belly. Um, If they're breathing really big in the middle, like in the thorax area, that means they think that they're the only one in their life that can help them. And it's their power that's doing the breathing. So um, when we have trauma, we store that trauma in our body on a cellular level. And our body knows if I, if I had a broken heart, if I breathe in my chest area, I'm going to feel those feelings again. So that's why we shut down that breathing. And um, maybe, uh, maybe in childhood or in a marriage or something, somebody will have their free will shut down. So they won't be breathing in their belly because they know if they do breathe in their belly, they're going to feel those feelings, the, the sadness. And so I help them breathe in those areas to resolve the, the trauma that they've accumulated in those areas. So what's the connection to anxiety? Because in my work, I understand, you know, breathing I use all the time as a technique to get our heart rate back, get the heart rate back down when you, you know, feel it accelerating and um, you're nervous. But I think in your work, it goes, it goes much deeper than just being nervous before a television appearance. Yeah. So when we are stressed out, it's a fight or flight response. We do high chest breathing. That's just what we do. You know, we were designed that way. So when we saw the saber tooth tiger, we could just do high chest breathing and run away fast. And uh, of course we don't have any saber tooth tigers around anymore. And so we, you know, want to be a speaker and I'm like, oh man, that's like really terrible. And so we will do high chest breathing and then our brain does not get enough oxygen and our brain's like, no, I'm getting oxygen here. And it makes our heart go faster so we can get more blood up there because we need the oxygen. And then, our, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, can you explain that actually for anybody listening who doesn't know what Maslow's hierarchy is? Maslow says the top of the hierarchy is uh, food and clothing and then safety Um, maybe job security, love and belonging, friendships, esteem, and self-actualization. So once we have the top one, we can move into, yeah, I can acquire this one too. And then this one and this one. So we we are primed to acquire the next one when we have the, the one we have. But the fact is that above the food and clothing, we need air. That's like mm. the number one. They didn't put that in there, but it is, it's higher than, than the other ones. 
And so when our body thinks we don't have air, it flips out. That's what anxiety is called. And uh, we can't breathe, you know, <laughs> because uh, it's a done for us thing. But if we breathe, we um, some of these things, you can't do them. They're just a natural thing to do, like the autonomic nerve system type of thing. And so one of the things about breathing is it's automatic, but we can also do it with our brain too. We can make ourselves breathe differently. And so if we take some really deep breaths and use our full lungs, then we can throw a hammer in that fight or flight syndrome and we don't have to participate in the whole thing. And then we can calm down and have our peace. Okay, wait, I wanna sit with just one second because we always talk about fight or flight and I talk a lot about breathing, but I love what you just said so that uh, other people can process and internalize this and why this matters is that you're literally throwing a hammer or a wrench. Throwing it, you're, you're just, because what happens is what you're saying is through the intentional controlled breathing, you are changing the response. And that's how the, powerful the this is. The syndrome, wow. yeah. fight or flight syndrome. Yeah. Wow. 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 Trying to mention it. Yeah. You know, I'm actually now, you know, reviewing the hierarchy and, and the other thing I'm struck by is the chasm for many of us between love, belonging and friendship, let's say, and esteem and self-actualization, right? Because the vast majority of us, let's say living in the United States, God bless, have most of our material needs taken care of, even though there, I, I want to be clear, there is a lot of food insecurity and there's certainly job insecurity, but you know what I mean? Is at no time in history has the vast majority of people been so well provided for, right? right? It, so, you know, in the era of the, the saber-toothed tiger, that was a very different story. But uh, the 20th century, certainly after World War II and industrialization changed all of that. And yet, the other, th I guess it's given us plenty of time to be able to think about esteem and self-actualization, but it hasn't caught up by any stretch. Fascinating. Mm. Yeah. I've been thinking about myself and, you know, my self-actualization uh, because I am on, like I'm 73 years old, but I'm on a journey here. And so I think doing these podcasts has helped me be able to do my next thing, which is... <laughs> selling real estate because I feel better about myself. People like me. Who knew people liked me? I didn't know people liked me. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think it's going to help me, you know, be open in that area. And I think the, the real estate thing is going to help me be a speaker someday because I'm going to have a depth of, I know what I'm talking about thing going on for me. And so so I, I think, uh, well, Kathleen, I think that, you know, quite a bit about what you're talking about now. Yeah, I know. I know some stuff now, you know, after studying for so long, that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to share the things that I learned on the internet while Ron was sick. And when I, when I got to write, you know, I went and did the Camino, I got home. Well, I need to write my book now. And I wrote, you know, the outline of all my teachings. And then I just thought, well, I don't want to seem teachy. And I remembered I had told people about all those things on the Camino. So I wrote my book about walking the Camino and telling people those things. That's how I did it. 
What's the most valuable lesson you got out of all of this? I think the not worrying thing is valuable. And also I don't need to forgive anybody. God bless. Where can people find your book? You can find it on Amazon. You just put wisdom in the com- wisdom on the Camino and it comes right up. Also, I have a website, wisdomonthecamino.com. And so you can go there and punch the button and you know you can go to the book at Amazon. Thank you, Kathleen, for sharing your wisdom. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so, so happy I could be here with you. I'm grateful. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you're interested in media coaching for you or your team, please shoot me a note. And please be sure to visit ableintermedia.com and download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.